Our focus in this lab on Romans 9, 9 to 13 will be especially on verses 10 through the end of the paragraph because verse 9 uh, really does belong to the preceding paragraph. I'll try to make clear why. Father, as we tackle this added argument that Paul has for why the Word of God has not fallen, grant that the argument would be clear to us and that we would be able to rest in it and that our minds and our hearts would embrace this in such a way that we could be firm and confident as we read and trust your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me read this paragraph, and then we'll relate it again to the preceding. For this is what the promise said. And then comes Genesis 18.10, addressed to Abraham. About this time next year, I will return, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And that son is Isaac. And then there's a break. That's why I said verse 9 probably goes with the preceding. First was the argument in support of the word of God not falling from um, Isaac and Ishmael. And now comes the argument from Jacob and Esau. And the father of these two is Abraham. And the father of these two is Isaac. They have different mothers up here. And the same mother, Rebecca, here. And that's going to be part of the issue. So let me read it, then we'll make the big connections. And not only so, but also Rebecca had conceived, when she had conceived children by one man, our father, forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born, had done nothing good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older, that's Esau, the older will serve the younger. That's Jacob. So there's a reversal there. Usually, usually the younger serves the older, but here the older serves the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. We'll come back to that in some detail. Now let me set the stage here so we can see what we're doing. This paragraph began with the statement that it is not as though the word of God has failed because it looks as though the word of God has failed because so many Jewish people have been um, accursed and cut off from Christ because they're unbelieving in the Messiah, Jesus. And his argument is that the word of God has not failed because not all those who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And so the word of God applies to those who belong to Israel, to those who are named his offspring, to those who are children of God, children of promise, who are counted to be offspring. And then there's an added support for this verse 8. The children of promise are counted as offspring, for this is what the promise said. Promise goes back to that word in verse 
8, this is what the promise said. And then Genesis 18.10, a promise about Isaac. About this time next year, I will return and Sarah shall have a son. Now, here comes the second argument that's different from the Ishmael-Isaac argument. It's Jacob and Esau. And the question is, why do you need another one? And the answer is, there are four or five incredible uh, improvements upon the argument. If you just took the argument uh, from Isaac and Ishmael, somebody might say, oh, well, God chose Isaac over Ishmael because um, Ishmael's mother was a, an, an Egyptian, and so flowing in his veins was not true Jewish blood. And Isaac has both a Jewish and a, a, a mother and a father, and therefore his was pure Jewish blood, and that's why he was chosen. That goes exactly against w- the way Paul was arguing in verses 6 through where he is saying, no, it's the work of God naming and counting a person's seed, not by anything resident in them, because that would make them a child of the flesh, not a child of of promise. But somebody might say that, and so we we need an improved argument from the Old Testament, and that's exactly what you get here. So let's read it. And not only so, but also Rebecca had conceived... When she had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac. Now, there's the first improvement. They had one mother and one father, unlike Isaac and Ishmael. So one mother, one father. Here you can't say that the choice of one over the other is because one has defective blood. They're both, they both have Jewish blood perfect coursing in their veins. Our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born... There's another remarkable improvement in the argument. If you take Ishmael and Isaac into account, Ishmael had been alive 12, 13 years before Isaac comes along. And so you might say, oh, he rejected Ishmael as the heir and as the the child of God and child of promise because he had noticed for 13 years that he didn't live up to expectations. And that's totally against what we're going to see here when it's not by works, but by him who calls. So these two have not yet been born as Paul makes the, I mean, as God makes the distinction between them. They had done nothing, either good or bad. So it's not their works at all that's making the distinction between which one gets chosen as the child of promise and which one doesn't. But rather, in order that the purposes of God in election might continue, not because of works, not because of works, but because of him who calls, which takes us back up to Nine seven, him who calls, she was told the older Esau will serve the younger. So there is one possible way that uh, Esau might have the upper hand over Jacob as one who should be appointed as the heir, and that is he came out first, and therefore God explicitly reverses that and says that Jacob is going to be the child of promise and the child of God, not the older one, Esau. So you can see how the argument uh, is an improvement upon the 
Ishmael and Isaac pair because it removes all the possible objections. So, so what's, what's the point? How is Paul arguing? Let's go back here. The main point is that the Word of God has not failed. The promise of God has not failed. The reason it has not failed is because there is a true Israel. Not everybody descended. Not Ishmael, even though he's born of Abraham, and not Esau, even though he's born both of Abraham, I mean both of Isaac, and of Rebekah. They don't belong to Israel. Rather, the offspring for whom this word of God counts is the offspring that is named, the children of promise, the, the children of God who are counted as offspring. So we have a, a principle coming out of the Old Testament that it is to, to be born from Jewish blood is not by virtue of that birth to be part of the covenant people for whom all the covenant promises apply. And therefore, even though back here in 9, 1 to 5, there are many Israelites who are fallen and who are unbelieving and who don't participate in the promises, nevertheless, the word of God is not fallen by that because they don't all belong to Israel. They're not part of the offspring that has been named. They are simply children of the flesh, not children of the promise. And the addition of this argument here from Rebekah and Isaac having Jacob and Esau removes every objection that that could be what the Old Testament is saying.